Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast on the WWWs as well. It's good to have your company. We are here to defend government schools, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. That's why we're called the Dogs. Um, if you're a regular listener, you know we deal with educational issues in Australia and we defend government schools because that's what needs to be done. Um, no one else seems to be doing it at the moment because, well... I'm not even going to begin to talk about what's going on in Canberra. Um, yeah, I mean, who's the education minister now? Is going to be different to the way it was? Is it going to be different to the way it's going to be? Um, they've, they've disappeared up their own fundaments as far as we're concerned. So we really have to go back here on the dogs talking about issues, not personalities, because um, we'll leave the personality stuff to the... Well, it's not even ideology, is it? The, the silliness that's going on in Canberra. But... On the program today, of course, we will have our great state school later on the program, of course, which is what I know a lot of our listeners really enjoy talking about and enjoy listening uh, to because we always finish on a positive here on the Dogs program these days because state schools are great, which is why we defend them. But as we've been commenting oh, probably over the last month or so, um, the various, strangely enough, religious factions in Australia have been playing very aggressive politics the Catholic education system and what they call the independent school network, which are basically every other religion whacked together, um, those two networks get vast amounts, billions of dollars of taxpayers' money from the government each year. And they're fighting each other to find out who gets an extra couple of hundred million or who doesn't. And as part of this fight, it's an interesting byproduct, is that the rest of Australia is going, hang on, firstly, how much money do you get? Can we just check on that? And secondly... Why isn't anyone talking about the rest of Australia? Why isn't anyone talking about the state school system? And in the last week or so, um, the mainstream press, not just here at the Dogs, has actually been focusing on this to quite a significant degree. It's really, really interesting. And there's politics being played, of course, but then there's just the fundamental ideas of, well, if all the private schools are fighting each other for taxpayers' money, what about the government schools? And hang on. Seriously, what about the government schools? Because there's been rumours going around the Australian middle class dinner tables for some time now that government schools aren't as bad as the private schools make them out to be. Because don't get me wrong, or don't make any mistake, the private school system's business model is to rubbish government schools. That is part of their fundamental purpose. That is part of their fundamental business model. It is the point of the Catholic education system to rubbish the state school system. That is part of what they do. That's their bread and butter. And the independent school system are exactly the same. And so in various bits of the mainstream media just recently, there's been some, some very strange, well, from, from our point of view, strange, but very heartening defences of what on earth parents are supposed to be paying for when they send their children to private school. And also how public schools how the debate indeed about public and private education is in fact a complete con job in itself. And in fact, this has been called out by Julie Zergo um, in The Age just last week. It was a fascinating article that was entitled, and I, I kid you not, The Great Public Versus Private Education Con Job. Um, and, you know, this, this could be one of Jean's press releases, truth to tell. This really could be Jean's, one of Jean's press releases, but it's not written by her, it's written by Julie. And she goes on to say when she was writing on the 18th of August this year that, and this is also interesting, the Public Education Foundation, which is an organisation which supports public education, put out a video. And they put out a video and there was 
Professor Larissa Bernhardt, who was the first Aboriginal graduate of Harvard Law School, who is a state school girl, the former High Court judge, Michael Kirby, who's a state school boy, and Craig Rucastle, who's now got a show on the ABC called The War on Waste, who's also a state school boy. And in this video, we have these prominent Australians recalling fondly the teachers who actually set them on the path to distinctions that they have themselves achieved, the teachers in state schools. Now, Rucastle in this video, and I suggest you go on YouTube and check it out, it's the Public Education Foundation's YouTube video, um, he says that he often meets public school graduates who are out there doing wonderful things. They're ministers, they're media personalities, they're people in the arts. But he says, these people don't go around bragging about the schools they went to. They don't go bragging about being graduates of state schools, they just are. And he says, maybe we should be bragging a bit more about the schools that we went to. Now indeed, says Julie, and maybe governments should be bragging a bit about the the systems for which they're responsible too. Spruiking the public school sector because they are the government. Shouldn't shouldn't governments be trumpeting the achievements of state schools and reassuring the 60% of taxpayers whose children attend government schools that they have those parents' backs? They will not tolerate complacency. They will not tolerate mediocrity. They will not tolerate ill-discipline in the schools run by the government, run, run by us, the taxpayers. Let's hear, says Julie, ministers crow about sending their own children to their own local high schools. She says, we rarely hear such sentiments because since the Howard years, there has in fact been an undeclared war. Yes, a class war and it's against public education. With our political lords eroding confidence in the system, either through overt rhetoric or in more subtle ways, the negative messaging amplified by obscene funding inequities. Yep, this is mainstream media, folks. This isn't isn't us here on the dogs. I'm quoting someone else's words just for once. She says, there are reasons for this war. She says, one, like elsewhere in the West... Australia's political elite is disconnected from the concerns of ordinary people. Well, I would actually point out that Julie's right there, and the the activities of the last week certainly have amplified our our understanding that our politicians and political masters are disconnected from the concerns of ordinary people. But she said there's another reason. Another reason is our political leaders are hostage in Australia to private school lobbies that purrs about wanting the best for all schools, but they don't. They just don't, obviously, because it's a law of the market that competitors seek to crush each other. Now, at present in Australia, the Catholic education sector, emboldened by Labor's victory in the Longman by-election and its continuing jihad against the Federal Education Minister, or the one that we just had, Simon Birmingham, is pitching for what it claims is a fairer funding deal for its schools. The Catholics claim, in their jihad, (laughs) might have some validity within the context of our flawed funding regime, but their rhetoric reveals precisely the market logic that Julie spoke about earlier. That is, crush your enemies and see their lamentations before you. You see, the Catholic education system encompasses a hostile intent towards government schools, even if that hostility comes disguised as kindly sentiments. Now, writing in Eureka Street, the Catholic Social Services Australia Chief Executive Frank Brennan, who often says lots of nice things. Well, Frank Brennan trots out the line that private schools need public funding to ease the pressure on the public system, he says. And I quote Frank Brennan. He says, many parents who choose free government schools could afford to pay, especially those living in wealthier suburbs. Some of these parents expend great wealth to purchase houses in the finer suburbs so that their children can access the best state school for free. But incomes of public school families aren't relevant at all because universal public education is. That is, universal education and public education. Now, Brennan also argues that reduced government funding to Catholic schools might force some parish schools to raise their fees, and this might force families back to the local public schools. He says, and I quote, Is the coalition or Labor prepared to pay a premium for the maintenance of Catholic and non-government primary schools so that the state governments do not need to pay even more 
for an expanded state system. This has been the argument for years and years and years, that the Catholic system saves the government money. So this is the argument. Governments should give private schools more money so they won't have to put more money into government schools. That's the argument. Flawless logic. The same argument, according to Julie, um, was more stridently put by Stephen Elder of the Catholic Education Commission in Victoria in response to State Education Minister James Molino's soft boast in May that, quote, what we are seeing for the first time in more than 30 years is a significant increase in parents actively choosing to send their kids to a government school. Brackets. At the same time, it was reported that drawing more families to public schools in Andrew's government policy. Did you know that? I didn't know that it was state government policy to draw more families to public schools. Yes, James, a bit louder, please. Thanks in the future. Anyway, Stephen Elder, who's the boss of Catholic Education Commission in Victoria, saw that the Victorian government did not allocate his sector more funds for capital works in this year's budget, said, and I quote, it's fine for the state government to talk about booming state school enrolments, but they are denying parents' choice and crushing aspiration by starving Catholic schools of the support needed to meet demand. Now, Stephen Elder suggests families who have chosen state schools have had this choice forced on them, and that this truly aspirational folk... Notice how the more we talk about aspiration in this country, the less we actually achieve? I think that's fascinating. I'll say that again. Notice how the more we talk about aspiration in Australia, the less we actually achieve? Yeah, look, be that in home ownership, income or education, wouldn't shortchange their kids by sending them to a public school. Now, for years, we've been sold the con job, that funding private schools takes pressure off the public system when, in fact, the reverse is true. A bigger public system would offer economies of scale. Gutting high schools in middle class, of middle-class families, their resources and networks, residualising public education so it becomes an option of last resort, with plunging standards and expectations, simply increases the long-term welfare burden for taxpayers. And what about long-term psychic injuries we're inflicting on ourselves by raising children in a stratified and segregated environment? Now, former priest Paul Collins recently said, and I quote, we need within society some balance to the what's-in-it-for-me syndrome, something that goes beyond the self. That, he said, I think is what is at its best the Catholic system is doing. So he says the Catholic system is the balancing the what's-in-it-for-me syndrome. At a time of growing inequality, the liberal democracy finds that our liberal democracy finds itself under siege. The real balance to what's in it for me is the local high school. Because the local high school has values. The local high school has the values of it is open to all comers. It is accommodating to all faiths. It welcomes people from all backgrounds but striving for a common language and a universal truth. The case for public education is more urgent than ever. And that's according to Julie Zergo, who's an AIDS columnist. Now, this is coming out of mainstream media. This, and I, I kid you not, this is a, a dog's press release. We have been on the radio now for almost well over 30 years. Well over, I mean, I've been on here for about 10 now. And I'm, I'm, I'm a Johnny come lately when it comes to 3CR. I've only been here for 10 years. Um, we've been saying this all this time. And the fight between the Catholic education system and the independent education system has brought the people out of the world saying, hang on, you're just jumping up and down about stuff on the edges. What about what's really going on? What about supporting government education? Who's going to lobby for them? Well, the answer, of course, is us here on 3CR, the dogs. We'll lobby for government schools. And we'll be back, actually. I think we'll have a little bit of Dvorak, something to calm us down.
Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 under AM Dial. Now, often here on the, um, on, on the Dogs Program, we do give out unsolicited economic advice <laughs> from time to time when it comes to schooling and education practices. And there is the idea that if you pay for something, it must be worth something. The more you pay, the more it must be worth. De Beers worked this out when they were selling diamonds years ago. They went, how much are diamonds worth? Well, we've got about you know, 60 million tonnes of them, so what we'll do is we'll let everyone have one tonne and we'll say that's really valuable. And that's, that's, that's why diamonds are worth a lot of money. <laughs> They're not inherently valuable. They've been made that way. When it comes to education in Australia, I think it's a bit, it's kind of the same. If you want to educate your child, well, you want to have the best value, don't you? You want to do the best by your child. And so therefore, if you spend lots and lots of money, that must be good value. That must be a good product that you've bought. If you spent lots and lots of money on something and it's not worth a lot, then you're a fool. Nobody, of course, wants to be seen as a fool. But there's a very interesting article, again, relating to an analysis of the public and private system in Australia and The Guardian. And Dale's going to tell us a little bit more, a bit of sort of pseudo-economic advice, Dale. <laughs> yes, Rob, I've got the article from The Guardian here, and uh, it's by Kelsey Munro, and I'll have a little bit of a language warning and get a, a little bit excited later on in the article. But it's entitled, Bespoke Education. Are Australia's private schools worth the price tag? Research points to individual school culture being more important than if a school is public or private. This series is about school choice and the cost to society. If you want to ruin a dinner party, try lobbing this one on the table. Are private schools better than public schools? Or this, are they worth the money? For parents who have the relative luxury of, ch- of choice in these matters, the question is a vexed one. Finding the right school for your child is an emotional decision, clouded by prejudice, guilt and hope, distorted by wealth and peer group, and the carefully curated aura of private school reputations. In a country that still wants to think of itself as egalitarian, evidence of the growing disparity between Australia's richest and poorest schools has politicised it too. But parents want to do the best they can for their children. Lured by the ever more luxurious facilities of private schools, the smorgasbord of extracurricular activities and the boaters and blazers, the solid feeling of generations of institutional history, some are captive to the idea that they are doing children a disservice by sending them to the more modest local public school, particularly in high school, where these decisions seem to bite harder. But does any of that make private schools better? Independent schools Independent school offers a much more bespoke education, says Sharon Leifer, who has three children who've attended the same private school. They can be accelerated, they can get extra help, and it's not done on norms. It's done on each individual child, and they have high expectations of and for the kids. I wish everybody had that choice. Leifer says her 
oldest son was a quiet kid in class. Very bright, with dyslexia and dyspraxia, he struggled with handwriting and had become quite miserable at the local public school. But she says the school told her his problems were not bad enough to get him extra help. We found that at public school, if you're in the middle, the quiet kid at the back, if you're not doing anything disruptive, you can pretty much go unnoticed, she says. So the family from Sydney's northern beaches settled on St Luke's Grammar in DY, a small Anglican co-ed K-12 school that charges fees of up to $24,000 in Year 12. When we walked around the school, every teacher knew every child's name and every child stopped and talked to the teachers, she said. The ambience of the place, the whole thing really just caught us and we knew he would be much happier there. And he has been. Her oldest, who his mother says was rejected from a public selective school on the basis of his NAPLAN results, is studying law at ANU. But for every story like the life of families, there's another who's gone the other way. Bradley Stringer's family wanted to go to private school, wanted to go private for their two kids, but they were disappointed with their private inner Sydney primary school and didn't feel they were getting their money's worth. Our experience of the teaching staff was not what we had expected for one of our kids and certainly not what we were paying for, Stringer said. That disappointment was compounded by annual fee increases between 6 and 15% with little to no communication to the parents regarding the need for greater fees. They are much happier with their kids' new public school in Balmain. We don't fuck them up, we just take all the credit. Broadly speaking, choosing a school is not a process you can use trial and error to to improve upon. Most families don't want to move their children around lots of schools. So how do you get a a sense of how good a school is from the outside? University entrance results are one obvious place to start, and high-fee schools tend to sell hard on their high marks. But if you're only interested in academic achievement, the results from most of the 30-odd Australian studies since 2000 suggest that private schools are no better at progressing students' learning than state schools once you've controlled for socioeconomic background. That's also been the case for Australia's results in the past three PISA tests, the OECD's International Comparison Test for Student Learning. On average, private schools superficially appear to achieve higher student outcomes, concedes education researcher and public schools advocate Trevor Cobold, but public schools enrol the vast majority of disadvantaged students, and this is what largely accounts for differences in school outcomes. The Grattan Institute's yet-to-be-released study of five years of NAPLAN results contrasted students' progress between NAPLAN tests rather than the raw scores because it says that is the best measure of what value a school is adding. Comparing like with like schools by socioeconomic background across sectors, it found there's no significant learning advantage conferred by private schools. Researcher Peter Goss says it's a pretty clear finding that the difference in progress between the three sectors are not just there on NAPLAN. So if parents are choosing their sector based on NAPLAN results, then they kind of miss the point. The academic excellence of high-fee schools might owe more to a virtuous circle or feedback loop rather than anything particularly unique about the school's teaching and learning. Those schools are in a position to lure bright students with scholarships. It's like the probably apocryphal comment a senior figure at Harvard University in the US reportedly made to a private audience of overseas educators in explaining the secret to the university's global prestige. It's simple. We choose the best people, we don't fuck them up, and we take all the credit. NAPLAN is a narrow benchmark. And data available for research comparing school outcomes is very limited. There is, for example, some research to suggest that public school kids do better at university than private school kids with the same ATAR. 
The researchers say this may reflect the ability of some private schools to maximise tertiary entrance scores for their students who revert to underlying ability once they've left. But none of it can answer the question for an individual child. Is your child going to do better at one school or another? The old school tie. Don't look to the dismal science for help. Whatever it is, paying high fees for private schools is not an economically rational decision, says Sean Lever, a behavioural economist specialising in education choices. He compares it to a luxury consumption decision, like buying a top-end BMW over a good cheap Toyota. Both will get you there. As an investment, clearly no, he says. There is no real benefit from attending a private school compared to a public school once you take into account that private schools skim the best kids and screen the worst kids out. The big question for me, with my parent hat on, says the Grattan Institute's Peter Goss, is what is the school going to contribute to helping my children grow up healthy, happy, having life choices, having choices in life and being prepared and set up to, to succeed in those choices? I just don't think we gather that data. So everything else is a bit of a proxy. So why are so many families, more than 50% of students in Sydney and Melbourne, attend non-government schools, choosing to pay for private schools. In a measure of sensitivity around the issue, Guardian Australia found it difficult to find parents willing to speak publicly about why they chose private schooling for their children. It might be a mark of status within private school communities, but in the public arena, very few want to articulate the reasons. Many talk in private about the stress of paying high fees, but don't want to go on the record about their private financial decisions. Likewise, most private school principals approached by by Guardian Australia declined the invitation to talk about what private schools offer in exchange for their fees. I talk to people a lot about this, says Philip Heath, the principal of Barker College in Sydney's northwest. A lot of kids come here at year 10, having been in very good government schools before they came here. So it's a discretionary spend. So what's driving that decision? Barker is a co-ed, independent Anglican day and boarding school that was founded in 1890. Year 12 costs $32,000. Including its indigenous school, Darkenjin Barker, near Wyong, it has about 2,200 students. I reckon there are probably four key things, says Heath. The first is broadly cultural and spiritual allegiances. That's ethics and values, where their families are from. The second would be that they are seeking an individualisation of experience, so teacher connection, discipline, access to opportunities, flexibility of the structure to adapt to that child's interests or needs. Third would be the ability to influence school policy and practice at a local level and to participate more in decision-making. The fourth one, that's not popular to talk about, would be aspirations for academic and social engagement, lifelong friendships. Improperly expressed, it would be the old school type. Put more generously, you're building friendships that last a long time. Choices driven by anxiety. If I was paying $40,000 a year, I would want two swimming pools, jokes the former New South Wales Education Minister Adrian Piccoli, who now heads the Gonski Institute for Education at UNSW. No one should resent a school like King's for that. People are spending 40000 a year to send their kids there. Associate Professor Piccoli, who was a leading advocate for needs-based funding while he was a minister from 2011 to 2017, is also a supporter of school choice, with his own kids in the Catholic system. But, he says, the key difference between school sectors is the ability of the non-government sector to choose who their students are. Public schools have to take all comers, but through fees, entrance exams, targeted scholarships, interviews, discretion and discipline proceedings, 
private schools can pick and choose. He believes many parents make a high school decision based on perceptions of student behaviour or of a school's level of discipline. The extensive disclosure and reporting requirements about critical incidents or teacher dismissals for government schools can impact badly on the public sector's reputation, he says. I don't think the playing field is even, he says. If Catholic and independent schools were also subject to freedom of information applications, that would make it a bit more equal. Public schools are much more publicly accountable. Catholic and independent schools don't have to provide that kind of information, and that gives them, in a sense, a marketing advantage. You only hear about it in independent schools if a, parent's com- if a parent complains or it goes to court, Piccoli says. Lever, the economist, says parental choices are typically driven more by anxiety than by reason, but it could be a rational choice to go private if your local public high school is small and does not offer the range of subjects your child wants. However, in most cases, you're probably better off buying a house in a suburb with a nice public school than actually paying the fees to go to a private school. It's more of a consumption choice. They're paying for all the extras, the nice facilities, the segregation effects, the screening out of the undesirables. Are private schools really stricter, better at instilling discipline or shaping the good character of children? That is certainly conveyed in the rhetoric and marketing of many private schools, but it might be simply that such schools have easier raw material to work with. And as Piccoli pointed out in a public brawl with Trinity College in 2014, the fact that they can just expel problem kids. The idea independent schools might be somehow morally superior, I don't buy that at all, says Dr Mark Merry, principal of Yarra Valley Grammar in Victoria, a private co-ed school in Melbourne with fees up to $27,000 a year. I think that parents who choose to send their children to our school choose to do so, subscribing to the values of the school. So we perhaps don't have the diversity of viewpoints. It's far more, not monocultural, but it's more homogenous. Better teachers? Independent school advocates argue that the concentration of private resources is not the key point to private schools. What they offer is choice, giving parents options to fit their own values, faith or beliefs or their kids' special needs. There's probably more differences within the sector than there would be between them, says Carolyn Bladden, the principal of, an indep- of the independent no-fee Warakiri College in Sydney's Fairfield and Blacktown, which helps disadvantaged young adults finish high school. Bladden, who has previously worked at high-fee private schools in Sydney, including Knox and Meriden, says sprawling grounds and gleaming facilities aren't what makes the difference to a child. The most important thing is the relationship between the teachers and the students and their engagement. It can happen or not happen within either sector. So where are the teachers better? Even those working in the public sector admit underperforming teachers in public schools are hard to get rid of. Accordingly, principal autonomy in hiring and firing is a key factor many parents cite for going private, believing that they will get better teaching quality as a result. Yarra Valley's Mary says, A key difference between sectors is the autonomy of the head of the school to make decisions pertaining to that school. It comes out in lots and lots of different ways. Certainly it comes out in hiring colleagues. You're able to really work out who you need, whether that person fits the special school envi- the specific school environment. A New South Wales public school principal who requested anonymity because of the Department of Education's restrictions to talking to the media says the process for dismissing an underperforming teacher is so onerous and drawn out that most principals just don't have time to do it. The easier option is to wait out the bad teacher or get them transferred. Bureaucracy is the worst thing about public schools. It's a huge employer with creaky systems. One size must fit all. It's very hard to get rid of teachers who are not performing well, the principal says. 
But the Grattan Institute's Goss says while the freedom to fire the worst teachers may be attractive to parents with a business mindset, its importance may be overstated. No good international research says you can lift the system by getting rid of the worst teachers, he says. Lots of international research says you can lift outcome at scale by providing appropriate support to all teachers. The somewhat maddening conclusion from talking to principals and researchers is that schools cannot be judged by sector. It is rationally meaningless to argue private schools are better. There is too much diversity between schools and the research points to individual school cultures being the most important factor. That comes down to the teaching and learning culture cultivated by the principal. Some of the parents just like the uniforms, talk more about the grounds and the nice jackets than the quality of teaching and learning, the public school principal says. The question I always tell parents to ask is, what professional development are the teachers doing? Unless there's a continuous investment in that happening, go somewhere else. Yep, yep, Uh, uh, there's no question... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> about this whole thing. This this is all known. It's been known for some time. And I just want to bring you back, Dale, and perhaps our listeners too, to Barker College. When we're talking about the principal of Barker College, it's in Hornsby in New South Wales. Mm. Now, he's talking about, well, I can tell you right now, if you're a parent and you want to send your child to Barker College, you've got to cough up well over $30,000 for one child to send them there for one year. So you're spending a lot of money. Now, as we know in Australia... If you have a very difficult child, it's going to cost someone, preferably the government actually, because I'm a taxpayer, I'm happy to pay for it. Um, it's going to cost about $15,000 per kid per year in a secondary college if they've got needs. Now, $15,000 per student per year is what you need to spend. This is what is being spent, $30,000 by the parent. Hmm. On top of that, on top of the money supplied by the parent and indeed other sources, at that school, almost $9 million per year is supplied to that school by state and federal governments. Almost $9 million provided to that school on top of what the parents pay. Now, if you add up what all the parents pay, that's about $60 million. Mm. This is a big school, a bit over 2,000 kids. So big school, a bit over 2,000 kids. The parents are paying $60 million to educate the children in that school. And on top of that, almost $9 million is provided by state and federal. So it's quite small in comparison to the rest. But still, what does a school spend that on? We're talking about teachers and wonderful values and all that, and and homogeneity in some cases. Mm. You're buying homogeneity. Um, well, I'll tell you what the capital expenditure was in the year that they got that money. So those building new things. This is one school. One school spent over $5 million on capital expenditure just in that year. And you go, oh, that was just one year. They spent over $12 million since 2014 in that school just on capital works, on building new things. Now, I don't know what the things are. It could have been six Olympic swimming pools. and probably wasn't, but it could have been that because for over $12 million, you can build a lot of stuff in a school. So now if you think about that, the government's giving them $9 million that they don't need because it's supposed to be needs-based funding. They don't need it. They don't need it because it means that in total for that, you know, in total the amount of money going to the education of a single child is well over $35,000 a year. Mm. And so you have the parents contributing over 30000 So there's this top-up of federal money, millions of dollars of it, that's just getting ploughed into making it prettier, I suppose. Capital works for the benefit of the children who don't need that benefit. I mean, that... <laughs> Imagine where that $9 million could go and be of better use to the people of Australia. I don't know. Maybe some public housing. I mean, just forget about education. That's just $9 million going to Barker College every every single year. Um, it's just, it, it blows the mind. What's really offensive to me is is the suggestion that it's 
there's something positive in judging a child as undesirable. Yeah. That's that's offensive. Yeah. yeah. And 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 then categorising and, st- and and then stratifying it. So yeah. that so that child then lives with that. And we go back to what Craig Rucastle said. All these amazing people you meet who've been to state schools, well, they technically shouldn't be there by definition. If you listen to what the state school lobby says, no, people can't succeed if they go to state schools. And some parents I know, and this is this is what you were highlighting out, saying, oh, well, you know, I would send my child to the local state school, but you know, it's a rubbish school, and I wouldn't send my dog there. Okay. So you're willing to live with the fact that around the corner from you is a state school that you wouldn't send your dog to. You think that's all right because you can buy your way out. Mm. It's just entrenching pockets of poverty. Mm. Yeah, it's just, just, okay, fine. I mean, and I'll actually point out, there's something I want, to, I want to share with you. What people say about what, you know, what, what parents say to justify their decision, what parents say to justify their decision to spend the money to send their child to a private school is not the truth. It's just what they feel they have to say to justify the decision to separate their children out based upon the criteria that Dale's just highlighted. Let's have some music and we'll be back.
Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Oh, look, we've come to all the problems now. We're going to finish up the dogs program on something wonderful, something delightful, because I'm going to tell you about a great state school. It's Rose Hill Secondary College. Before I go and tell you the glories of Rose Hill Secondary College, which is an extraordinary place to choose to tell, and I'll explain why, I'd just like to say that we've been inflicting some Dvorak on you. Um, yeah, I know I was sneaking in the bit of music in there. That was um, a mid-nature. That's his Opus 91 for those people who are interested. A little bit in late 19th century um, tone poems and all that sort of stuff. I kind of like it, and I hope you do too. But back to the interesting, actually, deeply interesting and serious business of Rose Hill Secondary College. Now, Rose Hill Secondary College in the late 90s and even into the early, early noughties was a bit of a, uh, it was a problem school. It was a problem school because the facilities were not good. One of those schools that was built in the 1960s in the expanding time for the baby boomers, full of asbestos, a bit of a mess, low ceilings in the corridors. Um, and it was having troubles. But you know what? It's not having troubles anymore. And the one really good thing I like about Rose Hill from the point of view of the dogs, it is, and I hate to say this, it's an average school. Because it's not, it's great. But if you look at its ICSIA value, the average ICSIA value for all the people in Australia is 1,000. And the ICSIA value for this school is 1,001. So when it comes to income levels, the vast majority of the children actually, um, are in the lower three quartiles. 10% of the school's population are in the top quartile, but the other 90% are almost equally distributed between those who are very poor, those who are quite poor, and those who are moderately comfortable within the Ixia bands of Australia, which I think is fascinating. It's pretty much right there on the Australian distribution, slightly poorer, actually, um, in terms of distribution because you know, there's not that many people in Australia who are super rich. But the ICSIA value for Rose Hill is around about the same. So we were talking about Barker College before, $35,000 cost to educate a child there, and taxpayers spend money on that. Taxpayers spend per child for a child in Barker College almost $9,000. Now, the parents are also spending upwards of $30,000, so that all adds up to something ridiculous. But for a child in Rose Hill Secondary College, the parental fee, the parental fee and charge for a child in Rose Hill Secondary College per year, per student, is around about $200 to send your child to Rose Hill. It's fees, charges and parents' contributions, all wrapped into one, about $200. Um... So how much do the taxpayers put in? Well, in total, to educate a child at Rose Hill Secondary College and average, inverted commas, great state school. I know that sounds like a contradiction, but it's not. Um, bit over $11,000 per student to educate a child there. This average school. $11,000. So, how are the kids doing? Well, let's just look at the, at the basic numbers, the NAPLAN numbers that everyone jumps up and down about, which, as we constantly come back to, aren't any particular indication of how good a school is. Um, um, they're great. They're good. They're above average. In fact, substantially above average uh, when it comes to writing and numeracy. You know, the reading, write, reading, writing, arithmetic everyone goes on about, all those ultra-conservatives. They're doing great. Now, the facilities at Rose Hill Secondary College in the last 10 years have not significantly improved. I can tell you this because I work there. <laughs> I know it's a bit of a sneaky thing, but and I won't say how I work there, but I do. Every year I go to Rose Hill Secondary College and hang out with the kids and do work with them. They're little demons. They're terribly good. <laughs> They're goodly terrible. They're just kids. They will ask the weirdest questions. And they will give you a bell lip, for sure. And they're just Australian kids. And they are from the most extraordinarily diverse multicultural background, being out there in the inner west of Melbourne. It's an extraordinary thing. It's just this little microcosm. It's a delight. Every time the time comes to go and work at Rose Hill every year, I go, oh, great, no worries. See you there, 7 o'clock in the morning, get myself ready, let's go. These kids are worth the time and energy. They're the sort of kids, the more time you spend with them and the more energy you put into them, the more they give you back. 
if you as a teacher like working with kids who ask you good questions and give you a bit of lip that produce good results, then it's the sort of school for you. If you want to go and work with some um, very well-behaved robots who are entitled... <laughs> Entitled before they were born to some sense of achievement. Um, don't go to Rose Hill. Yeah, no. If, if you're the sort of teacher that likes very well behaved students with extraordinarily high aspirations driven by, 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 by parents, um, who are willing to put a great deal of resources and money and effort into their education, don't go to Rose Hill. If you want some real kids who know about how to work with others because that's part of what they have to do in that school, um, send them to them to get a rose hill. If you want um, a coffee machine and a barista in your staff room, um, don't go to Rose Hill because you won't find one there. Off to MLC for that. Um, so if you want all the, all the trimmings when it comes to education and all the sexy stuff and the polo fields and all the all of the Olympic swimming pools, then don't go to Rose Hill. But if you want to know what really good state school actually does, then do go to Rose Hill. They're doing it cheap too. They're doing good results on the cheap, and I know it's because of the students, and I know it's because of the staff, and I also know it's because of the principal as well, who I'm not embarrassed by naming. It's an amazing place, Rose Hill. Um, and from very rarely do, do I use anecdote as proof, but I can tell you, over the years and the times I've worked there, it's a stunningly good school with stunningly good kids who are, who, who if they are the future leaders of our country, the kids that come out of Rose Hill, they'll do a damn better job than the ones up there that we've got at the moment, I can tell you right now. So they are the hope. So our great state school for the week, I have to say, is Rose Hill Secondary College up there in Nidring. Congratulations to you. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State College. schools are great. Harkaway Primary great School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really school. concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually, thing? an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's who, that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the when weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a, a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words that is actually... So, so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses, refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a positive great relationships with each other, with teachers, and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast, and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. Oh, yes, the dogs program. It's a wonderful thing to do it when you get to talk about places like Rose Hill, but if you're interested in what we've been talking about, you can contact us at our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. And if you have a great state school that you want us to talk about, all you've got to do is just ring up the station on 94198377 and say, hey, Rob, from the dogs program, Put the name down, I'll do the research, and it'll go to air the next week. Do not worry about that, because you, our listeners, are in fact the reason we're here, because media is what it's all about, and we need the dogs more than ever in these ridiculously interesting times. But until then, of course, it's from the Dogs Program from myself and Dale and Jean next week. It's bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joey last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead I never died, says he I never died, says he In Salt Lake City, Joe, says I Him standing by my bed 
they framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I did, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe, I didn't die, says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill, went on. To organize, went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your hill. It's there you find. Ten years dead, I never died. Too.